0: Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly.
3: Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays, because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void were prohibited.
2: To the RotoWire NBA Podcast. It is Wednesday, November 9th. Nick Whalen, back with DJ Trainer. Uh, you've been away uh, out east for the weekend. Just got back today. Last night, last night. Technically last night. last night. Yeah. All right. So tell me where you've all been. I know. I know the destination was Boston, but how did you get there? How did you get back? How did it all go? Wow. Well, let's get into it.
1: Yeah. Got in the car, drove down to Chicago. Nice cheap flight out of Chicago girlfriend bought me uh, a birthday trip to boston my favorite thing to do is travel and boston's a place i'd been to but hadn't really spent a lot of time there um so birthday trip to boston my birthday's tomorrow but uh went over the weekend had a good time did not go to a celtics games uh celtic game but in the tr- the the train station down below and like the subway station they had like nike is starting a new branding campaign not we're not sponsored by nike but i thought the sign was pretty cool no, yeah we are we isaiah are. thomas pick last in in the draft that he went in uh they had a signage of of him like holding his hands up and saying pick me last again i thought that was really really cool really clever
2: okay uh so that was a highlight of the trip seeing the yep. isaiah thomas subway sign uh, i well, couldn't wait, wait to come back on the pod and tell you that yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, lots of good food, Freedom Trail, Fenway Park tour. Um, yeah, that Fenway good Park Quin- tour would be very cool. Yeah, Quin- Quincy Market, Lot- lots of good stuff. I'm, a, I'm, a, I am a am i would not say a history buff, but I, I love to sniff out the history. You know where I'm going, and obviously Boston is just littered, littered with history.
2: I'm not a history guy, but I'm a history guy. So no, that sounds <laughs> sweet. Yeah, I've, I've never really been. I've been out east a couple times. Never made it down to Boston. Uh, I am not a history guy. I'll, I'll say that. I enjoy reading about history every now and then. But
1: you would be interested in seeing maybe. like like uh, the church where Paul Revere hung the lights. You know,
2: yeah, maybe
1: that the that the uh, redcoats were coming.
2: Yeah. So um, I fun. I've seen some movies. You know, in high school. I think that j- just about covered it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> All right. So we have eleven NBA games on the slate tonight. One of the bigger slates thus far this season, uh, as as is typical on Wednesdays. But I mean, the big one that everyone's waiting for Knicks and the Nets. The Nets are three and four. Uh, We're going to talk about some kind of surprise players in a little bit. Uh, But if there's a team that surprised me in a positive way so far, it's probably the Nets. And that's, you know, you kind of have to to take that a little bit lightly considering they're three and four. But I 100% expected this team to be probably 0 and seven, maybe 1 and six. At this point, Uh, they just beat the Timberwolves last night, and I mean, there's a team that's surprising in the opposite direction, Uh, but the Nets, they're not good, but they seem to be kind of embracing this, you know, next man up. We're all kind of a bunch of guys who've been tossed together around Brooke Lopez, and it's kind of worked so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they were pretty close to the favorite for worst team in the NBA so far because... We were actually looking at the Sixers team and saying time for them to progress a little bit. And I think a lot of people out there, you know, probably me and you included, Nick, were were willing to admit that maybe Brooklyn would be the worst team in the league this year. That hasn't happened and I think it's all because of expectations. Granted, we haven't even played, you know, quite ten games for each team yet. But expectations really play a lot, at least in the early goings here. And the Brooklyn Nets—they had zero; they had absolutely nothing. So they were out there able to go play carefree. Uh, they're not expected to win really any of their games. You contrast that to somebody like the Timberwolves, where you know people are expecting them not only to make the playoffs but push for that four to five seed spot. Just unrealistic expectations that you know kind of get seeded deep down in your own head and make you think a little bit differently when you approach a game. And so there's truly, truly, truly something to be said about um, expectations heading into a game by game basis. Because let me tell you, I'm looking at this depth chart, Nick, and I don't know how they're coming up with wins because the depth chart is really bad. And so the only thing that I can lean on is saying, you know what, they're just out there playing carefree. And that's what I'm going to chalk it up to at this point, because certainly their personnel doesn't suggest that their record should be three and four like it is.
2: Well, you have a roster of a lot of guys who have been around, you know, Randy Foy type of guys, Trevor Booker, Uh, but then you have a mix, you know, you mix in guys like Isaiah Whitehead, who's a rookie and, um, you know, guys who are kind of trying to earn their keep, Sean Kilpatrick in the NBA. So I think think you have Joe Harris, sure. Uh, You know, you have guys who want to prove that they belong in the NBA. And I think that that maybe brings a little bit of extra fire uh, to the situation. But I mean, to be fair, they've they've beaten the Pistons who have been very up and down Uh, they've beaten indiana who uh james and i did a pod a couple weeks ago and tried to predict who would call the first players only meeting uh and indiana (laughs) i think is getting there they some of the comments (laughs) that i've been seeing from players after games uh leads me to believe that all is not great there uh and then they beat the wolves last night i mean this this is not a nets team that should like ever score 119 points and yet they did it uh, on a tibbs defense they scored at least 30 points in three of the four quarters um you know uh Brooke Lopez has been really, really good and, and they're doing a lot of this. One without Jeremy Lin, who's hurt right now. Uh two, they just lost Gravis Vasquez, they just released him. He's gonna have surgery, might miss, you know, most of his second straight season now, uh, after a similar situation in Milwaukee last year. Uh so they bring in Yogi Farrell. Like that's where this team is at. Yogi Farrell is should basically be a D leaguer. Uh and, and Ronnie Hollis Jefferson who, you know, most people probably thought was the best player on this team beside Brook Lopez and I think that goes for fantasy as well has been fairly underwhelming. He's been fine on defense, but he hasn't really progressed all that much offensively. So to me, that makes what they're doing all the more impressive. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested to see how this plays
1: out. Do I think they can keep up with this pace? I don't think so because...
2: I mean, they're going to have like a 12-game losing streak at some point, right?
1: Right. You think that's only fair. You do talk about experience, and that helps you maybe like with the first 10 games out of the season. But when you're talking about guys like Jeremy Lin, Randy Foy... Luis Scola, Trevor Booker. We're not talking about you know, like deep into the finals guys who play, played a pivotal role on a championship team. We're just talking about guys who have literally played NBA seasons and not really a whole lot more beyond that. And so maybe that gives them the added bump right out of the gates. But beyond that, I mean, this is still a Brooklyn Nets team that's going to be a um, you know, bottom dweller as the season goes along. Now, it is kind of puzzling that we've been looking at this Boston team and and saying, you know what, they're going to legitimize themselves Um, not only as one of the top teams in the East, because I think they kind of did that at the end of last year, but as the second legitimate team behind the Cavs over Toronto Raptors, that hasn't been the case. And so you're wondering, oh, is Boston just struggling? Is Brooklyn better than we think? Maybe, you know what? Right now, Boston's record would indicate that they're, they're off to a slow start, obviously. But wins over the Bucks, wins over the Bulls, wins over the Hornets? Or, or I take that back, rather. Uh, wins Brooklyn? over. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, so Brooklyn, just, just. Yeah, take it back a little bit. So over the Pacers, over the Pistons, you listed some reasons why.
2: That's a tough, tough Bucks team that scored 75 points in an overtime game over the weekend. Right. Yikes. Um... But I mean at least Giannis is playing well if we want to talk Bucks quickly. Um Ruby before you do that I just want to clarify. Obviously
1: the Nets lost to the Celtics, but that game was so close. Like you said 117 points against yeah. a team that should be one of the better defenses in the league. Obviously uh, it was the I think it was the first game of the year, so I'm going to chalk it up to first game of the year jitters or getting used uh, to a new Boston's team or something playing
2: good D. That's the thing. Yeah. 29th in defensive rating, 28th in points allowed, uh right in the middle of the road as far as pace, so it's not like that's really you know, you could see if you're playing at a crazy fast pace if the opponent's points are up, but that's not really the case. So Boston's offense has been great, and, and a big part of that has been Avery Bradley, who we're going to talk about in a second. But, yeah, it's, it's weird. A Brad Stevens coach team, you know, that has this kind of defensive reputation, and to be fair, Horford's been banged up. He's missed a few games. He's out tonight. Uh, this, it's kind of concerning, honestly, this concussion, concussion situation. It's been like a week now, and he hasn't hasn't really progressed. So hopefully that's not anything that that's a little bit longer term. Of course, they're without Crowder right now, too. He's missed the last couple games. But but still, I mean, you, the defensive players that you have on the wing and in the backcourt here, you know, there's no one that you really point to as a big-time liability, I guess, other than Isaiah Thomas. But this was a team that was able to, you know, have a really, really good defense last year with Thomas, you know, leading the team in minutes.
1: Yeah, and what's funny, too, is that we looked at this team. as like, oh, you know, they're they're like kind of 10 di- guys deep. You know, who are they going to start? We don't even like yeah, – I mean, they were like 14 guys deep. Right, yeah, 14 guys deep. And it's just kind of like plug into the system. It's going to work because the system works. Mm-hmm. And despite these injuries, we haven't seen that. And it seems like last year – they did have periods like Avery Bradley was not healthy all of last season and they still were a very good team and Avery Bradley is a very good perimeter defensive player but still even when he was out they still maintain really good defense we haven't seen that in the early goings of the season even though we thought this was one of the deeper teams in the league and they would certainly hold up on defense if they lost a part here a part there I mean Al Horford wasn't even on this team last year they basically still have the same team so what's going wrong I, I don't know it, defensively
2: I mean, is the issue really and then you know we it's tough to delve into I guess guess on a podcast and you know, we can we can illustrate with video or whatever but um i mean the offense has been fine i mean they're shooting they're shooting like 49 percent from the field as a team they're shooting it really well from three right around 38 percent. bradley's playing the best basketball of his career thomas picked up where he left off last year amir johnson's been fine you know as the replacement uh for horford but defensively it's, they're just letting up way too many points there's no reason that the celtics team should be allowing 112 points per game that's absurd
1: yeah, I mean it, it's tough. We only have six games to go on, and so I, I, right. we probably shouldn't spend too much time on it. They do get a win uh, against the Hornets team in in Charlotte, where this Hornets team is is actually the only one loss ka- of the Hornets. right. Yeah, they only loss of the season. They get a, a like a win over the Bulls, and these teams like the Bulls and like the Hornets are the ones that you really need to go in there and solidify. If you're going to be the second or third best team in the East, you have to take care of business of these middling Eastern Conference teams like the Hornets, like the Bulls. Mm-hmm um teams like that like the Pacers Knicks
2: yeah I think you know the Bulls have come back down to earth a little bit which was expected uh after I would even say it was a hot start I think it was just like they <laughs> caught everybody off guard you know it's like wow Dwayne Wade has just been choosing not to shoot threes apparently for the last 12 years um but that, I mean honestly that has been huge for them you know we kind of i guess wrongly assumed like dude i I feel like we shouldn't say like oh we were wrong to Wayne could actually shoot it was like he fooled everyone into thinking he couldn't shoot like it's not like like there was empirical data to go off of that says he cannot shoot but apparently he can now so that's the difference maker for chicago but yeah boston is already split with chicago uh they lost they lost in cleveland on thursday but that was no horford no crowder uh and they made that a lot closer than it probably should have been but still that's another one where they allowed 128 points in a regulation game when Cleveland kind of took its foot off the gas for a lot of that game.
1: Yeah. I I mean, I'm looking at the Eastern conference standings now again, it's early. I can't say that enough times, but I'm looking at the Hornets, who are second at a, with a five and one record, and I'm looking all the way down uh, to the Heat, that are currently ranked thirteenth with a two and four record. And like the end of last season, where we had a bunch of teams bunched up, was it three to seven or something like that? Where they all tied, right? Yeah, yeah. like it was three, th- three through six was like all tied. And it almost looks like we're going to have a scenario like that, but just throw in five more teams. And I think the only teams on the outside looking in, to be honest with you, are the Cavs on the top looking on the outside in at this mess, Mm -hmm. and then you've got the Wizards and the 76ers. Otherwise, Nick, I don't feel comfortable – saying that any one of these teams is going to not make the playoffs or will make the playoffs anymore from what I've seen from Boston, even from Toronto. Like Toronto is probably one of the better teams in the East, but because things are so benched up and because a lot of these rosters kind of are all, you you know, there's not a, a major difference maker on them. In terms of winning games, like you can say somebody like Giannis is, you know, the most talented guy on the roster, but he's not necessarily going to help you win games and help this team rise above. So, two through 13, it's going to be fun. Eastern Conference basketball is going to be pretty interesting because you're going to be having teams that you think are at the top getting beat by teams that are ranked 12 and 13 because they all are pretty evenly matched, it seems
2: yeah I think yeah the point that you made about just there aren't these like big big time difference makers on any of those teams that's that's kind of been the case in the east for a while you know when when a guy like Carmelo Anthony has kind of faded away and Dwayne Wade over the last few years John Wall's been hurt Jimmy Butler's just not quite to that level where he can single-handedly uh, do the things that those guys can yeah I mean that's the story of the east it's going to be which team can kind of come together as a five man unit and play almost that hawks from 2 years ago style yes, that's good yeah. enough to you know to, to mount a real challenge to cleveland it's not going to be enough in the end assuming cleveland is healthy but right now that team maybe looks like it is the hawks again and maybe maybe it's the hornets uh toronto will be there you know maybe the pistons get it together who knows i i think i still wouldn't bet against boston i wouldn't bet against toronto just because they've proven over the last 2 years that they can do it but i mean charlotte i guess right now looks like the second best team in the east uh although atlanta looked really good against cleveland last night in cleveland uh lebron kind of coasted for it seemed about you know pretty much every every minute except for the last minute of the first half he, he turned it on a little bit and cleveland basically just dug itself too big of a hole to climb out of but atlanta's going to be going to be interesting i mean having dwight howard uh and, you know if, if dwight howard can recapture 90% of what he was you know in houston even 3 years ago that's a huge, huge different maker that I don't think a lot of people are really accounting for man he's been good so he far has been good.
1: and it shows and it shows I mean he's been validated to a certain point right Nick where it's not necessarily him it's not his back issues it's the type of system that he was being trying yes. to fit into exactly. and when he's able to run wild and when the offense kind of works around him and pivots around him he's going to put up massive numbers like he's been doing I hope he stays healthy all year so we can see mm-hmm. some Orlando like numbers because it's fun it's fun yeah. to have a legitimate center in the league um you know free throws aside of mm-hmm. course course. Now with Atlanta, I th- I'm I'm a, I'm not ready to say that they're one of the top teams in the East though because they lost to the wizards and i just think that that is honestly unacceptable based on what we've seen from the wizards so far. That's the wizards only win and when we look at a team like Charlotte who has taken care of business against all these middling teams in the east like i said versus a team like Atlanta that, you know, they'll go out one night and lose to the wizards but uh you know rally and beat the cavaliers. I think they have some figuring out to do where i'm actually feeling safer with Charlotte. At least they know who they are. Are they a sexy team? No, they aren't at all, but at least they're a solid team whereas Atlanta is going to fluctuate throughout the year and I'm willing I'm less willing to put my you know eggs into their basket to say they could rise up and be the second best team in the east where Charlotte could just be a very solid team and actually mimic the Atlanta of a couple years ago more Mm -hmm. so than this iteration um, the 2017 version of Atlanta is or can be.
2: They have those type of guys too. It's, uh, Kemba maybe not quite so much. I think he's probably better than Jeff Teague was. And you know the the point guard position for that Atlanta team wasn't its absolute strength. Although Teague was very good, he was an All Star that year. Um, but you know you have a guy like Nick Batum. You know you know players players up front. You know, Kaminsky, Hawes, who are you know can step out and shoot it a little bit. They're they're not just a one dimensional type of team. Um, and I think that makes them really hard to guard. And then, you know, the MKG return is a whole another factor that we really didn't get to see at all last season. So uh, they'll be a fun team to watch. Um, I talked to you about Batum on the low post, right? Did you end up listening to that? I did. Silky Interesting voice. stuff, right? Yeah, well, that was one thing. Yeah, great voice for Batum. I think he has a future in audiobooks uh, when <laughs> basketball is over. But, one, the, the Brandon Roy stuff, Uh, that, that was tough to hear I I always forget about Brandon Roy and that's on me. And then people start talking about him and it's like, yeah, it's really tough to see. I I mean, Batum was like very adamant that like, this is the best guy I've ever played with. Like, it's not even close. And like, I mean, Lowe's like, well, what about Dame and and LMA? It's just like, no, no. And that's no disrespect to those guys, but it was like, that's how good Brandon Roy was.
1: Have I told you my Brandon Roy, Beverly Hills mall story?
2: Uh, what you're about to let's go
1: okay so i mean i was like i said i like to travel i go on a lot of vacations me and a buddy go on one every year about four or five years ago we were just hanging out beverly hills going to one of the mall like an outdoor mall it's on the i forget it's la or beverly hills anyway we're walking down and this family comes and walks by us and in the center Is Brandon Roy. And he's got like maybe his mom, his sisters, and I don't know if he has any kids. But, anyways, he was at the center of them and he had like eight bags. And like none of his family was helping him carry any of the bags. It was Brandon Roy, just a little like a mall rat with like eight bags. And my buddy looks at me, he's like, I think that's Brandon Roy. And I'm like, there's no way that's Brandon Roy. And sure enough, we, you know, we like get just like, just like look straight at him, figured it out. Brandon Roy, mall rat, four years ago. No, no, we didn't talk to him. I, it actually took us a while to like, convince each other that it was him, because it's just like when you think of seeing an NBA star, you don't think of him just like being bogged down by like, eight mall bags surrounded by his family who's not carrying any mall bags. Mm-hmm. And anyways, that's my Brandon Roy story. But yes, he was one of the best players in the league, and his knees absolutely failed him. They basically disintegrated. Oh.
2: Yeah, not not good, typically, when parts of your body disintegrate in your 20s. Um, but the other interesting thing from that Batum interview, I thought, was that the Damian Lillard game winner, I want to say that was game six or game five against Houston a couple years ago now. Um, I mean, if you're a basketball fan, you know what I'm talking about. I don't think I even need to expand on that. Nope. Was not drawn up for Damian Lillard. It was drawn up to be a lob. You know, It was a side inbounds. Um, it was drawn up to be a lob to the basket for Aldridge. That would have I can't remember if they were down two or down one, I think they were only down one. So either way, that either ties or wins the game. The lob, uh and instead, I mean, if you, I, re, I went went back and rewatched the play after listening, and you know, Lillard comes flying around, clapping his hands, but you know, you can see kind of glances Aldridge's way, and then just flips it to Lillard, and you know what happened. We all know what happens next. But I thought that was interesting, and I, I don't think this was brought up, uh you know, in this regard. I don't think Batum meant it in this regard, but like. It goes back to the you know whose team is this Aldridge or Lillard type of thing. Like Lillard went off script, basically stole a play that was designed for Aldridge so he could get the game winning shot. And I don't I don't mean it in a selfish way. It was an open look and he made it, so you can't vault him for it. But you do wonder like am I reading too much into this? You know to think from Aldridge's perspective that even though your team wins the game and you know I went and you can see Aldridge reacts like he just made the shot himself I and mean, it was great. But you got to wonder if that you know irked him at all. I don't think it
1: did because no. I, I've, I've went back and watched that play as well. Nick, it was game six. Portland was leading 3-2. They were down by two points. So they were going actually for the tie, which is generally what you do when you're at home. You go for the tie. Um, at least that holds true for football. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah. Anyways, it's safer to go for the tie. So that, that play was drawn up. The way that Aldridge reacts, he doesn't care. They won. It's awesome. Do you remember at UCLA when a similar circumstance played out with Shabazz Muhammad and the play was drawn up for him. They didn't give them the ball. His teammate shot it. They won the game, and he was livid, mad that they didn't actually go <laughs> to him. That's Shabazz Muhammad. Yes, that that is when a player is actually mad. In this particular instance, Aldridge is very happy and whatnot. The funny thing is that like this seemed like a tight crew. When I think of like the Clippers now, this is how I think of the Trailblazers back then. Like. We're going to defy the odds. We're a strong, tight-knit group. You know, We're going to be here, get to know us. We're going to be around for years. We're going to be knocking on the door. We might not get there, but we're going to just be that little thorn in your side moving forward in the Western Conference. And obviously, just like Brandon Royce knees, that team ended up disintegrating over time as well, which is sad because... When we're talking, like, super sexy young teams like we talk about the Timberwolves now, this is what we were talking about when we were talking about this Trailblazers team not that long ago, three, four is, thing years is, ago. The like, the
2: Wolves might have, like, two and a half better players than anyone right. on, that, yeah. on that Blazers team. Maybe better coach, seems, too? Like yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I guess. Yeah, but Stotts is a pretty good coach. Yeah. I mean, no no knock on him. I guess Tibbs is probably a little bit of a better reputation.
1: But back then, I don't know if we were as high on Stotts Mm -hmm. as we are on Tibbs right now. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, No. Um, But but yes, that whole interview was super interesting because we all remembered that that play very vividly. And it seems like it's perfectly drawn up for Lillard. I don't think it irked Aldridge whatsoever. I think that that team was so tight-knit that... Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can see Aldridge's reaction right off the bat that that was a win for that, that city and that team, not, not,
2: uh, not like a Lillard coming of age over Aldridge. That's, that was one of the rare non, you know, Wisconsin Badgers, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. I remember exactly where I was when that happened moment, uh, city bar, of course, in in, in Madison. (laughs) I remember exactly like where I was standing, what, you know, how I reacted. It was, that was such a cool shot. Uh, But anyway, let's talk about more uh, individual guys. Every Bradley we talked about in reference to the Celtics, how is he doing this? 19.5 points, almost nine rebounds per game. He's like three games already of double digit rebounds, four and a half assists, almost three three pointers per game. Uh, Obviously, those are all career highs for Bradley. I'm not necessarily shocked that he has this in him I mean this is a guy who's the number one overall recruit in his high school class big time athlete we know what he can do defensively he's just about to turn 26 in a couple weeks so he's you know he's right in that time of his career when he can start making these kind of leaps but there just hasn't really been anything over the last three seasons that would lead you to believe that he has this kind of production jump in him and you know, obviously it'll normalize at some point. He's not going to average nine rebounds a game as a shooting guard. Uh, But uh, you talk about guys who are off to to hot starts kind of coming out of nowhere. Bradley has to be up there. Yeah, I agree. I I
1: think um, to say that he's coming out of nowhere is an understatement because when you have this guy, what you expect out of him is a three-point threat from beyond the arc, obviously, and then a solid, if not one of the best uh, perimeter defenders you can get. And now he's just playing in all facets. And it's kind of funny, and feel free to shame me after I say this, Nick. But a few years ago, Lance Stevenson got off to a hot start like this where he was filling up every single category. Free agent Lance Stevenson. Yeah, free agent Lance Stevenson. Thank you very much. Where he was filling up every category. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. Can a guard keep this up with this many rebounds? And more importantly, like a point guard. Uh, Like James Harden, who has point guard eligibility, Russell Westbrook, point guard. Those guys are worldly. But somebody who has shooting guard, like who traditionally in the past has been a shooting guard doing this seems a little bit unprecedented to me. Yes, it's going to come back down to earth, but where is it going to stop? Like, I mean, it's not going to – I mean, he's going to average career highs in assists and rebounds, um, we're thinking here, because Mm. this previous high was – for assist was 2.1 last year and in 2012-13 his rebound total previously was 3.8 I mm-hmm. mean he's at 8.7 if it falls dramatically it's still going to be a career high and I don't particularly know why or how this is happening we talked about how Boston is actually maybe not as good as they were last year have you been able to figure out like a correlation between Bradley playing well but the Celtics not actually performing all that well. I
2: mean, he's been a net negative if you buy into, you know, box score plus minus. Exactly. Um, Similar to a way Lance Stevenson right. was I mean, when he broke out a few years
1: ago like yeah, this.
2: Kind of. I mean, this isn't this is just literally, you know, on floor or on court, you know, plus minus stuff which is shaky at best this early in the year. Um a part of it too is he's playing huge minutes. I mean, yeah. He's played uh you know, at least 38 minutes three times already. That's part of that is with Crowder being out um you know guys like terry Rozier who looked good in the preseason probably not not quite being ready uh the, the big concern with me like I, these numbers i think are somewhat sustainable again outside of the rebounding um but like i just thought there was going to be too many pieces here for bradley to one play enough and two you know have enough usage when he's on the court to to put up these kind of numbers like we, you know i think people thought marcus smart was going to be uh, a bigger player and to be fair smart's third on the team in minutes right now so he is taking on a larger role but you know guys like Jalen Brown sitting down around 20 minutes Rosier's under 20 minutes Gerald Green hasn't been all that big like I I think maybe this team isn't quite as you know like stocked with 13 guys who are all gonna you know each play between 17 and 25 minutes as we thought which I think is probably better for them long term I agree long term I like this I like that
1: they're solidifying each position and, and the major roles within each position However, that's not what they did last year. So at what point do they revert back to what they did last year? Because last year worked out a little better for them. Mm -hmm. And so... You're right. When I looked at this depth chart and I was trying to put an emphasis on, you know, who's going to rise above because they're all going to see a similar amount of minutes that hasn't happened yet. Avery Bradley has not only risen above, but he's been doing it in larger minutes. Obviously that, that correlates quite a bit. Um, but Gerald green is somebody who in this league has seen solid minutes in the rotation, no matter where he's been over the last three to four years. And I really thought that they might rely on him, you know, for defense, maybe even a little three point shooting that hasn't been the case. Jalen Brown, where does he fit in this team? Guess what? It's not a shooting guard because they are locked up. I mean, when you have Marcus Smart, you got to fit him in as well. And so uh, Avery Bradley is locking up a position that I thought was entirely up for grabs and that I thought was going to be a carousel of guys rotating mm-hmm. in, rotating out all year long. And obviously, I've been dead wrong, and nobody really expected this. I mean, this is one of the biggest surprises of the whole NBA season. Talk about teams, coaches, players. Avery Bradley's performance to date might surprise me more than anything. Mm-hmm
2: yeah it's gonna be interesting what he gets um and we'll have to see how the season plays out but like next summer he can start talking extension um you know he signed four for 32 a few years back which seemed like a bad investment on the celtics part at the time but now like i mean come on that's one of the better deals probably in the entire league uh so you know he already had said midway through last season that he was you know pretty pretty unhappy i think that was his own word was unhappy uh with that contract situation so we'll see how that plays out but Uh, you know, he's certainly helping himself this season. Let
1: me ask you, uh, Boston obviously has the, the trade assets to make a big move. We've been saying, not only do they have the picks, but they've got depth everywhere. Is he playing himself into being traded or into being kept? Because he was definitely being mentioned. Now I'm wondering what Boston is thinking and Danny Ainge is thinking, I mean, did he play himself into a long-term role in Boston, or did he just make you know Ange like have even more assets to play around with come this deadline?
2: I'm gonna give you a, a really great answer that you're probably looking for. Uh, it depends. Okay. It depends how it depends how the team is doing. If the if the Celtics go on a run here and they're two games behind Cleveland or a game up on Cleveland, you know, around the All Star break, I think maybe they hold off and, you know, just kinda of roll with this for now, maybe make a minor move at the deadline. But if they're, you know, kind of sitting in the midst of that bunch and they don't look like they're a a you know, much better team, a tangibly better team than the Hornets, the Hawks, the Raptors, uh, I think this is a smart enough organization that they would look to make a move. And look, if you're gonna bring in DeMarcus Cousins or I don't Blake Griffin, I mean the Clippers aren't trading Blake this year, but you know, a guy like that like yes you're willing to give up Avery Bradley that's just part of the deal like you don't want to give up Avery Bradley you're not saying like yes please take Avery Bradley but to get a superstar player you have to part with assets that you really like that's how trading works
1: yeah no that's fair i think i think the boston was um they were a little more not eager but willing to part with Bradley if it meant but now I, I'm wondering if he's, again, like I said, playing himself into a role where it does not make sense to get rid of him because of that contract. It, it's kind of friendly over the next mm-hmm. couple of years. Do they have a chance to topple the... I mean, maybe next
2: year they get rid of him when you know they're right. on the verge of having to actually you know do something with that contract.
1: I, li- I like talking about contracts. So let's talk about Rudy Gay, somebody who has impressed so far this year as well. Next year with Sacramento, he has a player option, not a team option, but a player option. Um, so... It seems as though, at least coming into this season, during the offseason, he was not happy. I mean, I think he made that very apparent, but he's playing like he's on a contract, and essentially he could be, if he denies it, he can become a free agent and enter this booming market, which I'm assuming is going to happen, right, Nick? And um, But what that means is, does Sacramento look to deal him and package him into a deal with Cousins and really get you know, a treasure chest of returns. What does Rudy Gay I essentially so. playing so well mean for Sacramento's decision on the trade market?
2: I don't think they can package those guys, one, for money reasons, two. I just don't think teams want Rudy Gay all that much. I mean, he is playing well, That that's to be sure. But I think, I mean, he's like kind of sullied his reputation by this point, right? You know, like if you're... GMs have seen enough of Rudy Gay to like, he's kind of in like Jeff green territory, you know, where no, he's yeah, not quite yes, he there. Yes. People. I mean, he's better than Jeff green, but he's in that same conversation. I think okay. in, in terms different of how, ends of the spectrum within that same
1: conversation. You. I'll give you that.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean like, yeah, I mean, Jeff green side, people will always take Jeff green, like the magic. We're happy to have Jeff green, but like he's like Rudy gay is what Jeff green was a couple of years ago. When it like, who brought him in? Was it, the, was it, I don't know, Boston, I think brought him in at one point. Uh, You know, he was supposed to be like the final piece. You know, for some teams, like man, if we just had Jeff Green, the Clippers had him. You know, I was like, this is the spacer we need. We'll be the team that finally figures them out. Like Rudy Gay is 30 years old; he's not getting any better. He's a good player now, but like he's just he's just always been on bad teams. Always like those Memphis teams. You know, in the the late you know 2000. I don't even is it the late 2000s? I guess does that make sense? Uh, Yes, that's when it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like that just in like, oh. the whole decade. But yeah. anyway, you know what I mean. He has not played for hundred years. Nobody minutes. knows
1: how to say that. You're yeah. not alone. We don't yeah. know yet.
2: i I almost said something that would have made no sense at all. But um yeah, I mean like back then those teams were okay, but it was kind of in spite of Rudy Gay, you know, they're finding ways to win. Um so no, I don't think they package him together, but he's playing well enough that like his value's up, right? His value's way oh, up yes. from where it was three weeks ago. Um I I do wonder though, like he like you said, he has the player option, like he's not in Greg Monroe territory, because the NBA is moving away from Greg Monroe's type of player, and you know there'll always be room for big athletic wings like Gay. Uh, but like, is I mean, I think he's opting out for sure. Like, he doesn't want to yes. play in Sacramento. But like, money-wise, like, he, what leverage does he really have? You know, like, is he going to get like a massively bigger contract than he would you know, for talking per season value? You know, over opting in next year. Like, obviously, he'll opt out because he wants a long-term deal. But like per year money wise i don 't know that he 's going to be able to you know, double his salary or triple it like we saw with a lot of guys this summer that 's a valid point
1: i'm i 'm trying to pull up right now how much he is making. I think he's
2: well i mean is he in the
1: twenty two range i think I think his player option next year as my complete computer slows down is twenty two next year, but I think he right. does add a lot of value, Nick because when you 're close to winning a championship, you tend to overvalue. Uh, certain assets. Like if you feel like you're just a Rudy Gay away from knocking on the door of a championship, then you might go for it. A team that has kicked the tires on Rudy Gay is, is Oklahoma city. And this Oklahoma city team has already exceeded my expectations. I think everybody else's, if you switch out Rudy Gay with Andre Roberson, I mean, that's a, a markedly better team right off the bat to the point yeah. where somebody might you know somebody in the organization for the Thunder might say this is worth it. You know, like we're really, really gonna improve in this one position. Not saying anything about Rudy Gay's abilities or what he's done in the past, but if you look at the Thunder, like Roberson has really done nothing for them on offense and on defense he's been solid, probably a plus on defense, but has he really been a shutdown defender? No, he hasn't. And so adding Rudy Gay to that particular team gives that team way more value. Um, then you can't just quite look at Rudy Gay himself. You got to look at where he would fit in, and I think he would really put that team over the edge. Obviously, we're we're talking about you know we're always talking about the Warriors, but if you had a Rudy Gay to the Thunder, I think you've got a very enticing team.
2: Uh, I think it's just Jeff Green syndrome again. You know where it's like on paper, yeah, it looks fine, but like it's Rudy Gay, man. Like no way, they're not a Rudy Gay away from from contending but that is their area of need i mean if you're looking at trade partners the thunder are probably up there i don't really know what they would give up um, 14
1: million 14.2 is what he would make next year if he opted in so he is definitely opting bad. out he's definitely opting yeah out.
2: i mean the reason i brought up monroe is like monroe has a, a about just about 18 million player option for next year and like when he first signed that it was you know oh man he's gonna opt out after two years yeah you know, after surprising everyone by signing with the bucks and then midway through last year, it's oh wow great he's going to opt out after next year we can get out of this and now it's back to Bucks are preparing for Greg Monroe you know to opt in because he knows he's not going to find better money next <laughs> summer and he'll end up being this year's version of like a Roy Hibbert or a Al Jefferson where it's like you forget that they didn't even sign and all of a sudden like you know three days after free agency's over it's like oh oh Roy Hibbert signed with signed with Charlotte <laughs> I, I just assume someone grabbed him so that's I mean I don't think Gay is going to be in that territory but. It, I don't think he's super far off, you know. Like nobody's going to be running out to shove, you know, four years and a hundred million dollars at Rudy Gay, are they? I think so. Who? Anybody? Teams are getting too smart for that. I'm worried. Like, there's only like three teams that still that still operate like that, and he plays for one of them. Yeah, Sacramento, yeah. the Knicks, the Knicks. Right, the, the Knicks are the way you should start looking. Like, maybe yeah. he start you know starts looking at apartments in Brooklyn or, or Manhattan. Yeah, Magic seem to be compiling front court options yeah. for no Rudy, reason. Now that's, what, that's what the Magic needs. Yeah. Rudy Gay. Like, there's a, there's a <laughs> team that's probably thinking right now, like if we could just get our hands on Rudy Gay. Um, yeah, exactly. What so, about Portland? I mean Maurice, interesting do
1: you like Maurice Harkless, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb playing small forward? I don't know. I think for this particular team, if you add Rudy Gay, you might actually be looking I as a, as an
2: improvement overall. I think you lose too much flexibility on D. That's what's so like Crab's such a good shooter and a good defender. Like Harkless like Gay's a better player than all those guys, but I think what makes like Aminu and Harkless so good is they can they can guard like three and a half positions and like Rudy Gay can kinda guard one and a half positions. I don't know. I, I think he fits right in there
1: with that rotation at least of a, a small forward, a power forward where you, you could play them either or and I think in a you know, against a lot of opposing teams, Rudy Gay is gonna be a much better matchup for you on the court if you're the Blazers than somebody like Harkless or Turner or Aminu are. And, yeah. I, and I don't think that's too bold. I think that you might even be able to see the majority. You may, might even be able to say that the majority of teams you'd be facing, you'd be better off with Gay. We're just only talking about you know two or three teams maybe where they'd be solid – more solid defensively where they'd need it mm-hmm. in that small forward power forward range but if you're talking about just getting wins and recurring wins over the course of the season i think you know we're looking at another team that would pay four years 100 million dollars for rudy mm-hmm. gay services
2: um a couple of pacers miles turner who we've talked about at length after his fast start uh over two and a half blocks per game pacers have been shaky i think they're three and four right now turner's been a little bit up and down i mean it was kind of unfair for him to replicate what he did in their first game but i mean he looks like a really really good defensive player already and that's kind of surprising because it usually takes young guys especially players like him who were you know in this case incorrectly labeled project players you know to become elite shot blockers and elite rim protectors and i mean indiana has some things to figure out but turner has been absolutely fine
1: yeah, I, I agree with you. And the, the biggest, I mean, that project label is what everybody's was throwing around. And on draft night, that was the first thing said after his name was called by the color analysts is this guy a project out of Texas and he's proven everybody wrong. He's one of the more NBA ready rookies to come out from, uh, from last year's class. Now, the most surprising thing to me, I guess, I mean, given the whole, I mean, if we're looking at the whole package, everything is super surprising, but the most surprising thing to me is that he's already one of the best blockers in the league in that he's averaging 2.6 blocks per game. I mean, that's up there with Ibaka. That's up there with Whiteside. DeAndre Jordan, I mean, we're putting him in that category. Of course, if you want to talk about fantasy, we've been overdrafting Ibaka for four or five years now because he's so elite in the block category. And we talk about somebody with... You know, upside when it comes to points with Turner over the next few years. And we're talking about somebody that's essentially should, if he's going to retain this many blocks per game have as much value that somebody like an Ibaka would. And, you know, if you want to search that out beyond fantasy, just as a rim protector on the whole for the Pacers moving forward is that this guy is not a project. He's already bona fide defense in in terms of helping out around the rim and the other assets of his game are are sure to follow. It certainly seems that way.
2: Yeah, I think we're probably still a couple years away from him, you know, reaching what we can kind of see as like his real peak. Um, but yeah, I mean, he looks he's far and away ahead of where he was, where he was projected to be at this point. Berea uh, is another name that you got you have on our little list here of kind of surprising names so far 17 points per game, making a couple threes a game. He over his last two, he's got like seven rebounds and seven assists, and a big part of that is they're without Dirk, excuse me, Darren Williams, also out. Uh, so I mean, Berea's seeing a ton of minutes. I feel like we see this from him every year, he yes. has a stretch where. I think he won a player of the week towards the end of the season he last did. year. Like he, did. he always, like whenever whoever the Mavericks point guards are it inevitably go down for like a two week span, like Berea is just always ready to step in and just be awesome for that stretch.
1: Yeah, no, I, that's exactly what's happening. Devin Harris is also out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you've got that four headed monster, but that four headed monster, in, including Curry in this, in this year's iteration of that four headed monster, um, there one or two of them are often hurt. And so these guys essentially rotate the year having a lot of usage and a lot of play. And it just so happens that Berea is having that little spurt right at the beginning of the season. If you look at his minutes per game, he's averaging 33.9. And in the last two games, he had 34 and 46 in that in that game against Milwaukee. Um, so obviously, like, hold your horses on J.J. Berea. But it is kind of funny to me, Nick, though, that we've perennially seen Flashes with him, and that no other team seems to think over the last, you know, like five years because he's done this over the last five years. Hey, let's, let's bring him on, and he will be our point guard. Let's mm-hmm. take him out of that rotation to make him our point guard. It seems like we see flashes of that with other players, and and people overpay and say he's going to be our power forward or all our small forward. With JJ Berea, is it a size thing? Yes, is it an absolutely. age thing? I mean, what is it? I because think it's a little
2: it, of both. Okay. Um, I mean, he's thirty-two. So, I mean to be fair, like you said, he has been doing this for a while. I guess, I mean, Minnesota kind of did that, right? Like Berea had played well for a few years in a bench role. I mean, he he basically started like a fifth of his games from like 06 through 2011 basically because of what you said, no well, injury fill-ins.
1: Ricky Rubio was probably right.
2: the death of JJ Barea, Yeah.
1: Even though Barea was playing very Sally, 11, yeah. 11 11 points, almost six rebounds during that during that peak in Minnesota. Mm-hmm
2: yeah so i mean i think minnesota kind of stole him away from dallas and then dallas stole him right back uh but i mean he's kind of he's just too old i think teams don't really view him as uh as a a starting caliber point guard and that's fair i mean i think he's probably not a starting caliber point guard he plays really really well uh in his role and it's certainly suited him to this point in his career um okay now we're going to get even deeper i mean guys who if you're a casual fan you might not have even heard of uh, who, who are playing well tim frazier Maybe this time a week and a half ago you wouldn't have heard of Tim Frazier, but I think he's got enough talk now that certainly if you play fantasy basketball, you should know all about him. If you watch Big Ten basketball, you know at all between 2009 and 2013, you know all about him. But a good player, I I think he's a little bit more than just, uh, you know, somebody has to pick up the minutes here. Like he's he's really good. This is a guy who was the D League MVP and the D League Rookie of the Year. A couple of years ago when he was with the, the Blazers organization, they really wanted to keep him around but just couldn't quite make it work money-wise and, and depth-wise. Uh, but it's nice to see him get an opportunity. I mean, like, how long is this going to last? Probably not all that long. It sounds like things are going well with Drew Holiday's uh, wife who, who had the, the brain tumor issue, so he's hopefully going to be back soon. But at, at the very least, I think teams are looking at Tim Frazier, and I think you made this comp maybe last week or the week before, as kind of the next ish-smith.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I have been making that comp. Uh, thanks for remembering. And that like these guys are like seem like they're really good and could be one of the best thirty point guards in the league and are deserving of a starting role, and then oh they get cut and oh they get waived and they're on over here and then they don't fit out and then they're on to the next team. But it's like when Ish Smith or when Tim Frazier sees thirty minutes per game they just like fill up the stat sheet now obviously there's something we're not seeing nick and it's something that i would love to to ask nba execs or nba scouts and just say you know like what is the deal with somebody like Smith or Tim Frazier that, you know, if you look at the box scores at the end of the night, when they're getting at least 28 minutes or 30 minutes per game, it seems like they're a legitimate guard in this league, but we're not seeing that based on the teams and where they're ending up and landing and like making their homes because they're not able to. They're journeymen in the NBA. And so you said, you know, maybe you didn't know Tim Frazier's name a week and a half ago. You might be safe to forget it in another week and a half when Drew Holiday comes back.
2: We'll have have to get a Pelicans writer on the show. That'll be that'll be a next priority. I want to know more about about Tim Frazier and you know, like like I said, a guy we you know living in Big Ten country always heard a lot about. But it's like those like a Penn State player. You just kind of assumed he would fizzle out, and he kind of did at first. But it's good to see him back. He was uh, like leading the the Big Ten in points. He was very good.
1: good. Bad team, and he was like doing everything for him. What is exactly what he's done his Mm -hmm. NBA career as well
2: uh tj warren you have here uh he's been good he's using a ton of possessions he's shooting a ton he's playing a ton which, which is fine um the bigger news that i want to talk about is phoenix is making the switch at power forward um jared dudley out of the lineup marquise chris the permanent starter now going forward so at least phoenix knows what they're about like they're not fooling themselves into thinking they're going to contend
1: well the permanent starter over Dragon bender though
2: right i mean he, bender wasn't starting though like dudley. he wasn't Oh, Dudley was starting at Brown. Right.
1: Hey man, I he w- hasn't been
2: playing much, which I don't love, but he's also 18 years old, so.
1: So here's what I want to ask you, because you know more about Chris than I do. You and James are more prospect guys, and I and I'm just not. I just don't follow the college mm-hmm. basketball as closely. Now, Chris, just like Miles Turner, got that project label. I do know that much. But are we at the point where over the next few months we could say, wow, he's not a project. He's ready to assert himself right away mm. in a very similar way that Miles Turner is, or is he legitimately a project and they're just throwing him to the fire? That I don't know, and I'm looking to you he's for He's a advice. pretty big-time
2: project, yeah. I mean, he's, he, the fact that they're putting him into the lineup now, I guess, speaks to the fact that they're probably happy with the progress he's made, but he's one of those, you know, didn't touch a basketball until sophomore year of high school type of guys. He fouled out of half of his games, in the Pac-12 last year, like, like an all-time fouler, like one of the greatest foulers in the history, <laughs> like seriously, numbers wise in the history of college basketball. It's so like, that's been a big issue. I, I don't know. I, I saw some Suns guys on Twitter who I follow who weren't, you know, thrilled about it. Um, but at the same time, it's, like I said, I kind of applaud the Suns for just throwing them out there. Like I, I'm, I'm a fan of that method rather than, you know, the, the Aaron Rodgers sit them for a few years method, like just throw them into the fire. Like, chris is an insane athlete like sun's players were comping him to gerald green uh obviously someone that they had played with uh early in the season and he's not any he's not the same type of player like he's a power forward and gerald green is not but we're talking like that type of athlete like big big time leaper um but at the same time like he's he's not going to be a positive nba player probably for another two maybe three years okay that's really interesting. Yeah. Gerald
1: Greenman's one of the unspoken best athletes in the NBA, which says a lot because the NBA is often. Levine's regardless.
2: the best now, right? Quick sidebar, like best athlete, just pure athlete in the NBA. Yeah. I, I think I'll. And by, I, I feel like athlete tends to just mean leaper. And like tradition. Levine's the best leaper. He might, I bet he doesn't have the highest vertical if you measured, but like he looks the most athletic.
1: I think Russell Westbrook would have something to say about most athletic.
2: He's more power though, you know, like Westbrook can't do any of the dunks that Levine did at the dunk contest. But he can throw Dude, down a windmill know. with more power than Levine if that matters. Yeah, know?
1: it's athleticism is hard. I am willing to say Levine. Like Gerald Green like Green five held or that six title years for ago. A while, but he was
2: always like in and out of the league. It's like he never really yeah. knew if he qualified. <laughs> uh ever since he threw down the that windmill alley oop in in New Jersey, like that was it that's what sealed it for me pretty much forever with Gerald Green uh Tyler Johnson playing well across the board uh shooting over 50 percent from the field uh you know 90 plus percent from the line um I mean this Heat team has been surprising they they looked really good the first couple of games have kind of regressed to where we expected a little bit uh since then but they, they're they kind of a light version of the Celtics in some ways where you have this you know scrappy coach in Eric Spolstra who just gets everything out of these guys and a lot of you know just a hodgepodge of perimeter Josh Richardson's and Goran Dragic is and <laughs> I don't know if that's the plural of Dragic is <laughs> uh, Tyler Johnson you know Deon Waiters like these guys are all like they they're all kind of like at similar points in their careers in some ways I guess with the exception of Dragic who's you know he's a former third team all NBA guy where like Johnson and Richardson are just like such a fun pair to to throw together and you know once they get Richardson back up to full speed uh, you know, after the knee injury, I think that's going to be a big boost for them because they need the depth. Here's
1: the interesting thing to me, as Tyler Johnson could potentially be the ball handler for this team moving forward. Um, shot selection, obviously, he's done pretty well. Like you said, he's shooting almost 52% from the field, but turnovers, Nick, in each game he's played, he's committed exactly one turnover. As somebody who's handling the ball and playing at least thirty minutes per game, you have to love that a whole lot from a young guard. Um, that you know, based on contract wise, could be the guard of your future. As it seems like you know, Miami doesn't necessarily want to hitch their wagon to the the yeah. I feel like of no the world.
2: <laughs> no one is safe on this Miami roster. Though, That's right? fair. Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree mm-hmm. with you. Yeah, I mean, like, what do you get? Four for 50, I think, was Johnson. Like, that's extremely movable. He's young. He's looked really good whenever he's healthy. Um, you know, missed a lot of the second half of last year with a shoulder injury. But, yeah, I mean, they have, a, like, Miami's going to be in the perfect spot where they've earned so much goodwill with that fan base. Uh, maybe some of it was lost with, with Dwayne Wade going to Chicago. Um, speaking of which, he's back in Miami tonight. Um, but I, I think that they're going to be in the perfect spot where they're not going to totally bottom out, and it's, like, embarrassing. And they have some a nice mix of like legitimately good players like Whiteside and Dragic, and then these like young guys who are on good deals. So you can kind of say like, we're going to be just bad enough that we're going to get another really good asset. We haven't even talked about Justice Winslow, um, and I, I just think they're in a good spot. They're a smart organization.
1: Yeah, they're they're kind of at that bottom. When we were talking about the NBA standings in the Eastern Conference, you know, they are at the bottom right above uh Washington and right above Philadelphia and it looks like they could remain think they're there. Fine with
2: that though right like if you're Riley they should be like this isn't a team where you have to say all right we got to win 45 games so we can make it look like we're a legit contender you know like, like I, there's an article I read today I forget I think it was Zach Lowe wrote on the Rockets a little bit and you know the pressure that they were under kind of self-inflicted pressure last year to you know, look like a legit team so they could try to woo a Kevin Durant type of free agent and Durant didn't even grant them a meeting. You know, the Rockets were such a mess. Like, the Heat don't have that same pressure. Like, there's no pressure to look good for free agents because you have Pat Riley in your back pocket. You have the city of Miami. Like, the pitches kind of write themselves for Miami.
1: Yeah, I think, that, I think they're a little bit stunned. Uh, and for obvious reasons, the whole Chris Bosh thing and the whole situation and then Dwayne Wade leaving, you know, mm. it's like the bottom dropped right out from underneath them and they're still kind of stunned and they don't really know, Nick, should we be all right with losing? Should we try to add an asset and fight mm. for, you know, a latter half position or playoff position spot? I think they're honestly just trying to collect themselves. And hopefully, um, by the trade deadline, they'll realize the direction they want to head. Um, but for me or for you to say, you know, they want this, they want that, I don't think they truly do. I think they're feeling out a new area that is not familiar with them because they've been graced with Dwayne Wade for, you know, how many years was it? Last 10 years?
2: Starting in 03, yeah. Uh, some more than that. What, 12? Um, yeah. I mean, this, the, he, there's a, a really interesting organization, I mean, we'll move on from them, but... I just want to ask you. I don't know if I've ever fully asked you this question. Like, do you think they're better off with Dwayne Wade leaving than the other alternative, which was probably you know overpaying and maybe not giving him the Kobe, you know, two for forty-eight deal that the Lakers gave him reluctantly? Like, that's where that was heading, though. You know, like that's kind of what Wade wanted. I think Miami made the right call. It's hard, but I think they made the right call. It's tough
1: because if Wade was on this team, they would have found a way to be. One of the second, third, or fourth best teams in the East, and Ben had a shot. Like here's the ceiling. Here is to be in the Eastern Conference Finals and get rolled over by Cleveland. Like that's what they had a shot to no, do. No, it's Like,
2: there's like no Bosh. Like, if Bosh comes back,
1: then maybe. Uh, Wade is good, man. I mean, I, I, I think they. I mean, they would be a lot better than now, right? Like, they would be a solid playoff team with Wade on the team over the next even three years. However, if we're looking like are they going to be a lot better in four years than I think they did make a good decision because they're going to have to, like I said, they're figuring themselves out. They're figuring something out. And by the way, that four year timetable is going to be, it's going to open the East back up. I don't think love, um, LeBron and and Kyrie will all be on the Cavs in four years. And right now what the Heat have a, a chance to do is position themselves to really peak in that four year, you know, timetable. And so, yes, to answer your question in the longest way possible, I think it was smart on their part to not retain Dwayne Wade.
2: The long term future of the Cavs is really, 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 really interesting because if one hit just all the broad, right? and all hinges on LeBron, right? Like he has paid his, his debt to Cleveland, to Cleveland like he's good. good like he can do whatever now it's like Miami when he left it's like yeah, yeah he fans were upset but did you see anybody complaining like they knew that they're like all right well hey we got we got two titles like this was awesome like he, he doesn't really owe us anything like, like yeah people would be upset if he left but they, he delivered in like, in like the coolest possible way you know like coming back from 3-1 like you couldn't write it any better and Cleveland got what it wanted I, I think the pressure for LeBron to play out the rest of his career isn't really there and I don't they, think he, he views this like a business runs his life like a business it's an awesome really very well run business um and I think I could totally see two three years down the road he links up with Mello and Wade like you don't just make comments like that publicly if you don't really mean it
1: yeah no I hope it happens I hope CP3 I hope Mello I hope Wade I hope like LeBron essentially try to do what the Nets did a few years ago and and go old time old man status and and try to you know it depends on the, the team dynamic elsewhere. But if you're in the East and you're not the Cavs, I mean, don't you think it's smart to position yourself for that three or five, four year peak. And so if you are the heat, you should be content with being a bottom dweller over the next year or two. And then, you know, working off Winslow, working off Whiteside, working off Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, those guys, and really trying to peak in three to four years. And I'm looking at some of these other teams and I don't know if they're taking the steps to do that like the Chicago Bulls who now have Dwayne Wade it's like you know what maybe you just take a couple deep breaths for a year or two position yourself to really peak in four three four or five years and you're going to be better off in the next 10 years on the whole if you uh, you know if you value next year as much as you value year nine then I think you're going to be better off by taking a breath for the next couple of years And I'm speaking to all teams in the east and really peaking down the road when LeBron James isn't as much of a factor as he is going to be for the next two or three years yeah i
2: mean with the way that the heat of run this organization which really hasn't been around all that long um like i'm just fully expecting them to land like a great prospect who's immediately a superstar like they did with Dwayne wade in 03 the last time they really bottomed out kind of the end of the alonzo warning era in miami um and the way that miami's such a unique organization because they can land dennis smith or markel fultz or whoever it is and yeah they can they can just kind of build around him with stars as they grow like Dwayne Wade you know they knew what they had in 03 he won a title what two years later 06 you know that they bring in Shaq to pair with this like Dwayne Wade wasn't at his peak in 06 but they they knew he was going to be good enough at that point to be you know the 1A to Shaq so like you know say they land a big time prospect this year you know they're probably average for another two years but Miami's Miami and you can bring in you can pitch hey look at this young guy we have hey justice winslow is you know 25 now and he's really good as a third option like they have a nice little foundation of maybe not big time pieces right now but like Guys like Winslow, uh, you know even Whiteside to an extent, whose deal is going to look I think better and better as we go forward, and then you know Richardson and, and Johnson, who we keep touching on, like guys like that are who you can fill out a, a deep championship roster with three, four years down the road.
1: The big elephant in the room, and why I say four years is when they need to peak is because. We've talked about this, Nick. We don't need to get into it again. Chris Bosch is on salary for at least twenty-three million dollars for each of the next three years, and in that third year, twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, it's just a hair under twenty-seven million dollars. Well, so he,
2: I mean that I don't. There would be some solution there, right? Like I don't think like he's not just going to be on the books. Well,
1: he, I mean, if the Heat release him or whatever, and then he goes to a new team and plays at least is it ten or fifteen games, then that money is on the books for the next three years. Just boom, that's it.
2: He's I think they still are just hoping he retires or he goes somewhere else and that money transfers, you
1: know, or he refuses to do that. And then the money's still on the books. And so either a big cloud hanging. Right. And so why not just position yourself for 2019, 2020 anyways, because Bosch will be off the books.
2: I just, to me, that's too long to wait. I think on paper, that makes sense. You know, you, you really can't pin your, you can't do too much. I guess when you have this $20 million cloud over your franchise, but like, tell that to Pat Riley. Like, just just sit tight, old old Pat. We're gonna we're gonna wait three more years and then you can start wheeling and doing, like they'll find a way it's pat riley like if anybody's gonna find a way around it it's him
1: well and that's what i'm saying is this franchise is kind of stunned they don't know what to do and you know if they did they were graced by somebody like a Dwayne Wade. they could take him over the next 12 years that'd be awesome but if it doesn't happen they don't know you know they've never been in this position before for all the reasons you just said nick so i don't know they, they've got a lot of uh self-discovering to do before the trade deadline mm-hmm
2: all right, Any anything else you want to hit on? Any players, any teams, any games from tonight before we wrap this up?
1: Like I said, I was away in Boston. I was did not check my phone too much, so I had to just cram in the box scores really quick. Who is Dorian Finney-Smith?
2: Who is Dorian Finney-Smith? He played at Florida. He used to play at Virginia Tech. He's a big-time, just like a big-time athlete. I w- will say I was shocked that he was playing like huge minutes for the Mavs in that game. I watched that game against Milwaukee on Sunday, like he was basically playing all the fourth quarter into overtime. Like he's kind of like a, kind of like a poor man's MKG is one way I would sum it up. Like the jumper's not as ugly, but that type of guy, that type of frame, like at the combine, he, he was like top of the list in a couple of categories, like physical testing categories. He's just like a freak freak athlete. Uh, who's kind of always gotten by on that. I think. And like, I think he, I want to say he was a five-star recruit, you know, coming in, into college or at least a four-star. And he always underwhelmed a little bit based on that. But I mean, he's he's a, a big time wing player. All right, you, I mean, you, you stop
1: looking at box scores for three days, you come back, and there's new yeah. names, new names to, to learn. Yeah. And so I was
2: a little taken right. aback. I thought for sure Spinny Smith would be a D league guy this year, you know, a couple ten days here and there or something. But yeah, impressive that he's already been able to break into that Dallas frontcourt.
3: MyPatriotSupply.com